Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Life Bath Podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in again and I can't believe we're on episode four already and today's episode truly is inspiring so I can't wait for you to hear it. Before we start, as always, thank you to Relish Cafe and Whitley Bay who are our lovely sponsors. Even if they weren't a sponsor, I would still be telling everyone that they need to go because it is such a lovely little cafe. It's so friendly, the coffee is amazing, and I especially like their meze, so you've got to get down and try uh, one of their pita pizzas. Highly recommend it. Right, let's get into episode four. So this week I'm joined by Rachel from the blog Life in Geordie Land. Rachel is an honorary Geordie and her Northeast blog is visited by everyone looking for recommendations of things to do in the Northeast. From family days out to couple days out to restaurants to hotels, there's absolutely everything that you would need to find out all about the Northeast on Rachel's blog. Rachel is also a voiceover artist, which is so interesting to hear about. But mainly we talk about her diagnosis with cervical cancer and why she's such an advocate for cervical screening and what life is like 10 years on from that diagnosis. So join us on this beautiful roller coaster of emotion and also a Philip Schofield story. So who wouldn't want to carry on and listen for that? So enjoy. Hi Rachel and welcome to the Life Bath Podcast. Thank you, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really, really excited to have you here, so thank you very much for coming on. No problem. But um, I just let's just get straight into it, because yes. there's so much I want to talk to you about. <laughs> so uh, for everyone listening, I thought it'd be good to, for you to, to describe your blog, um, and also it's called Life in Geordie Land, and you're not originally from uh, Newcastle, no. so it'd be good to, to understand uh, where the Life in Geordie Land came from. Okay, well, um, you're right, I'm not originally from Newcastle, I'm from a place called Rochdale, which is in Lancashire, or it's close to Manchester, um, some people say it's Greater Manchester, but I still say I'm a Lancashire lass, <laughs> um, but I was actually working it out, next year will be my 20th year in the North East. 20th, so, yeah, wow. Yeah, so I've actually lived in the North East more than I've lived in Lancashire, um, because I came to, well, originally Sunderland right. um, in the year 2000 um, to study. Ah, fantastic. Uh, yeah, so I did my degree there, and then I stayed an extra year and did a master's, and then I did go back briefly because um, I couldn't get a job and mm-hmm. I was skint so I went back to live with my mum and dad <laughs> like we all do <laughs> yeah. um, but by that point I'd already met James my boyfriend and uh, really did want to come back to the northeast um, not just for him but I, I really just loved the place I loved the people um, so I was actively looking for work in the northeast and I was really lucky to get a job in Newcastle um, so I wasn't away for long um, and yeah I guess the rest is history yeah Fantastic. So what draw, drew you into blogging? What was the um, the sort of main focus Well, for the you? blog's been going um, probably since about 2013. Um, so quite a while now, actually. Yeah. Blimey. Um, but I originally got into blogging because I won a competition to be Visit England's fan in a van in yeah. the year 2012. Yeah, I wanted to talk to you about yeah. that because that looked really interesting. So how did you enter that competition? Oh, Why did you enter that competition? It's a bit of a strange story, actually. I just saw something advertised on Twitter. This fan in a van really intrigued me. Um, the competition said that it, it was looking for England's biggest fan, somebody who could be a tourism champion during the Olympic torch relay. Wow. So I thought, that sounds interesting. My initial 
reaction was that I thought it was a competition to win a camper van. <laughs> so maybe I should have read it a little bit more carefully. But I entered and uh, I later discovered that actually it was to win the opportunity to travel around England in a vintage camper van following the route of the Olympic torch wow. and blogging about all the places and experiences um, that you would visit along the way. Um, so it was a really interesting interview process. I had to write about my favourite place. So I wrote about Newcastle and then I had to make a three minute video and I'd never vlogged before. I'd never made a video really other than sort of little home videos. You yeah. Know? Um, but I decided to go out and make this three minute video about Newcastle and I went to the Granger market and chatted to the market stall holders and I went out on the big market on a Saturday night and chatted to some girls on a hen night in the toilets. I just tried to show all the different sides to Newcastle. It's probably still lurking on YouTube somewhere, <laughs> um, but I haven't watched it for a while, but it did eventually win me the competition. And then I went off on this adventure for three months. I took a sabbatical from my job wow. and um, yeah, that's how I got into blogging. After I came back from that experience, I decided that I really wanted a permanent blog and what better to write about than the place where I live and the place that I love the most, which is Newcastle. Fantastic. Yeah. That's so interesting. Like, <laughs> did anyone go with you for the three months or was it? Well, my partner was with me for quite a while. Um, he managed to, he was uh, working as a subcontractor at the time. So he managed to take right. quite a bit of time off work and, and join me and, and thankfully do a little bit of the driving because for anybody listening who does a blog or anybody who um, has ever tried to multitask at anything, tr try and imagine living in a camper van, sleeping somewhere different every single night, experiencing something new every single day, meeting new people, being a representative for a, the National Tourist Board and then having to write up content or create videos every single day, quite yeah. often without very good Wi-Fi signal. Um, having never really done it before, <laughs> um, it really did throw me in at the deep end. But I just loved it. Every day was an adventure. It was an opportunity that I just grabbed with both hands and tried to get as much out of as possible. And really, that was a springboard for me into lots of other things. It kind of gave me the confidence to realize that I could do something different with my life I didn't have to just stay in the same job doing the same thing for the rest of my life and even though I did stay in my job for quite a while after I went back to the same job and I did stay there for quite a while it did spring more springboard me into having a blog and a few other little side hustles that, yeah. that really have then led on to me eventually going freelance yeah um, just recently so I do think that even though it's been a long time coming I probably never would have done it without fan in a van and it was yeah. just an amazing experience Fantastic. So your blog now, it's the, yeah. the sort of niche that it is, is it's like a tourism blog, isn't it, for, for the for the Northeast? I guess so, yeah. I mean, I won um, the travel blog of the year at the Northeast Blogger Awards a couple of years after launching it. And I never really thought of it as a, a travel blog, but because I do focus just on the Northeast and I focus on the best things to do in the Northeast, the best experiences, I only write about something if I've really enjoyed it. Um, and I want to recommend it to other people. So it, it kind of is a, a travel blog in the sense that if you're wanting to plan a weekend or a, a break in Newcastle or the Northeast, then hopefully you'll get some inspiration. But at the same time, I, I also have a lot of local followers, yeah. people who perhaps haven't realised what's on their doorstep. Yeah. And even though my boyfriend's a Geordie born and bred, he'll quite often go, I never would have thought of going there. Oh, I'm so glad you're writing about that because I've never been. Yeah. I think, blimey, you've lived here your whole <laughs> life. Why are you not so excited about this? But I guess sometimes you take it for granted if it's on your doorstep. Yeah, definitely. And, and um, definitely 
definitely one that that follows um your blog and and another like northeast blogs mm. purely because like I, I think i said on the very first episode it's like a laziness for me because it means i don't have to research it because <laughs> yeah. someone else has wrote this amazing blog post and i'm like oh wow yeah i didn't realize that that place was yeah. there and then it, mean, it makes me go so uh, that's why I, I love that type of like travel blogging yeah because it's so different to just your usual kind of tourist website or somewhere to um to look at stuff to do in your hometown so that it's really really interesting yeah I think sometimes I still feel even though I've lived here for so long I still feel like I see the area through the eyes of a tourist um so I've kind of got the best of both worlds really and that I live here and I can really get under the skin of the local area and you know enjoy what's on offer on my doorstep but I appreciate it like somebody visiting from outside would do. yeah um a little bit like Chloe, who you interviewed on the first podcast. Yeah. Um, I guess we've kind of got that in common, really. And we do quite often end up at the same places and and uh, talk about the same things because I think we've both got that passion for the area yeah. through the eyes of someone who isn't native to Newcastle. Yeah, and that definitely comes across in your blog posts yeah. and it gets other people excited to go and, and, and see those things. Good. Yeah, <laughs> that's very that's good. That's the plan. <laughs> so what is your, your favourite thing to write about Um in the northeast, is it more days out or restaurants or places to go? What's the? It's a bit of a mixture, really, and I, I do try and mix it up um, because, you know, restaurant reviews are great, but I think people can perhaps get a little bit bored of those if you just do them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try and mix it up with days out and uh, recommendations and guides. I've started doing a few more guides recently, like my top ten favorite things and in a certain category. But my favorite thing to write about is family days out so even though I don't have kids of my own I love it when my family come to visit because they do come on holiday to Newcastle to stay with me and to experience what's on offer Um, because as much as Rochdale is my hometown and it's you know it's where I'm from there isn't a great deal to do there (laughs) so when my family come from Rochdale to Newcastle they can't believe how much there is to do and every day we do something different and my niece and nephew are seven now so they're at that age where I can take them to a lot of the family attractions that I've been wanting to go to for ages but they're, They're a good excuse, excuse, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So that's yeah. my favourite thing to write about. Yeah, I do that with friends' kids. It's just like, oh, yeah. I'll just borrow a child for the day because <laughs> I, it's really me that wants to go at this. Yeah. But uh, you can't really get away with it with uh, just being <laughs> an adult there on your own. No, no. I mean, some, sometimes it's, you know, I have done things like go to the Centre for Life or oh, yeah. White House Farm and things like that without kids because I think you can still have yeah. a really good day out in those places. You yeah. don't need to have kids with you. But um, I try and mix that up as well with then things like... Um, um, spa days or really nice restaurants things that me and James would do together as a couple yeah um so yeah it's a it's a bit of a mix really but um as I say I, I try and just write about the things that I've really really enjoyed mm-hmm. so hopefully that people know to come to life in Geordieland when they want a recommendation for something really good to do in the area So you've mentioned uh, the job that you had alongside your your blogging. So um, you worked for uh, Metro Radio. I did. So yeah. tell me a little bit about that and kind of that that journey with uh, with Metro Radio. Yeah. So Metro Radio, for anybody who is from the northeast who's listening, they'll probably have heard of it. It's a, a, a radio station that's been around for years and years in the northeast. But it's part of a big um, media organisation called Bauer Media. So it was a really exciting to company company to work for. You know, they own things like Heat Magazine and Grazia magazine and we would have big awards dues and yeah it was a really exciting 
job to have and an industry that I'd always wanted to work in. So even when I was at university, I, I knew that I wanted to work in radio. It was something I was really passionate about. Um, so my job within the radio station was I was a creative writer and that basically meant that I wrote the radio ads um, but I worked closely with the sales team we would go out and meet local businesses we'd be out somewhere different every day meeting with local business people finding out what they wanted to advertise and then trying to come up with creative solutions to help them do that so really varied uh, really interesting and, and it enabled me to use my skills in writing and presenting um, and you know I found that really challenging and, and interesting but I'd done it for 14 years yeah so I started as a trainee pretty much straight after uni um I'd gone as far as I could really um within the company without having to move location which was something I didn't want to do um and I just felt that the time was right to to go freelance so as I mentioned earlier that I've had kind of these side hustles going yeah. on for a while so my blog was one of them um I'd been increasingly getting asked to do more and more voiceover work which was a bit of a um something that had come about because of my job in presenting yeah, that's the radio ads. I, I was I was really interested yeah. in how you got into that because yeah. uh, I, I just find it absolutely fast fascinating. Oh, it is a fascinating job I absolutely love it but it came about because when I would go out to see a business and present the ideas that I'd come up with for their marketing campaign I wouldn't go in with a completed ad. I would go in with scripts and I would have to perform those scripts right. as the voiceover. Okay, yeah. So I would usually start off my presentation by going, okay, I'm, you know, this was the brief. This is what you asked for. This was how I came up with my idea. And now I'm going to read you the scripts in the style that the voiceover would read them just to give you a really good idea of, of what they'll sound like when they're produced. And that gave us an opportunity then to amend the scripts if we needed to before we went ahead into any production. And more and more often after I'd presented the scripts, clients were saying to me, oh, that was great. Can you not just be the voiceover? <laughs> and there was a couple of people I said yes to. Yeah. Uh, a couple of campaigns that I, I voiced regularly, but I would quite often shy away from it because I didn't want to voice all of my own ads. I, <laughs> yeah. you know, I thought that might come across as a bit egotistical or perhaps, you know, my style of voice wasn't, wasn't even necessarily the voice I'd had in mind for a campaign. Yeah. So I would quite often talk them out of it. But the fact that I was getting asked so often made me think, actually, maybe I could get something out of this on a more regular basis. Um, so I started to create showreels and promote myself outside of Bauer Media. And I got a couple of reg regular gigs um so gradually I was building up this um this kind of extra career for myself yeah um and gradually building up the confidence to leave the one that I'd had for the last 14 years yeah because it's a big move to go to go freelance and mm. work for yourself and, and and work from home so how does that balance in the, the few weeks that you've been you've been doing it how has that been well I'm on week six all now, right okay so I can kind of reflect on my first month and say it's probably gone how I expected to which is that I do miss the um sort of office banter yeah. I miss the loudness and yeah. the the buzz of the office definitely but I've been busy you know and I've been I've not just been stuck in the house either I've been going out and having lots of meetings for my voiceover work I'm currently sharing a studio with a former colleague who was previously uh, worked in radio and now is a voiceover um, so he's kindly letting me share his facilities for a while um, so I've been out and about and and I'm really loving the variety mm -hmm. uh, so that's that's excellent and I it's it's kind of 
exceeding my expectations in terms of the variety of work that I am doing. Yeah. Um, people are asking me to do things that I never would have considered, but actually um, I've, I've had my eyes opened. And yeah. I think it's just because I've I've worked with so many different Northeast businesses over the last 14 years that I was at Metro Radio that people remember me for either being a voiceover or a writer or presenting yeah. or uh, going into schools and doing projects or whatever it might be that they remember me for they're now asking me to do those things as a freelancer so that's really exciting and really reassuring as well that I've done the right thing yeah definitely so is there anything that we would recognize your voice on at the minute oh, I, don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I am the voiceover of the uh, radio ads and cinema ads for go northeast buses for any local <gasps> wow listeners. well funny story there funny connection is I used to work for go northeast ah, really? um, and this was going back 10 years so about 10 years ago um, and they needed someone just on the day to voice the um, you have now reached stop oh yes the quayside <laughs> and that, like actually on the buses and I did that for a little while oh, I don't think I am go. anymore but uh, but yeah I was the, uh, the you are now at the quayside voice that Excellent. was on the uh, on one of the <laughs> one of the buses so yeah that was my little taste of uh, voiceover work and yeah. uh, I mean I haven't worked for 10 years but uh, <laughs> well in, until the podcast so uh, yeah that's uh, that's really interesting yeah that's probably uh, the one I've done most regular a lot of my work is actually for radio stations over in the northwest right uh, so rock fm and key 103 radio stations like that where my northwest accent is more yeah. demanded um I've done on hold, so you know when you ring up and you yeah. go press one for reservations. That oh, kind that of thing. Very professional. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's 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 really varied. I'm hoping that in the future, though, I might be able to um, expand that even more and get into things like um, explainer videos. Right. Okay. Um, gaming, maybe. Hopefully, maybe some TV continuity. Yeah, TV. Voiceovers are everywhere. Yeah. I, I bet now I've said it, you'll start to realise that voices are everywhere. It is. I mean, <laughs> it is actually something I've looked into in the past because yeah. um, I found it really interesting. And like the uh, the voiceovers between TV programs, I was actually yes. just saying with you coming on, I was saying to my husband last night, I was like, oh, I'd love to be the the voices. I was like, as long as it's not live, I said because I can't read and I end up just messing it up. Yeah. Every some time. of them are live, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. In, yeah. The bits that kind of go. Coming up next yes. on ITV2 or whatever it is. Yeah, they uh, they are sometimes live, but still scripted though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that would be nerve-wracking, wouldn't it? No, pretty much everything I do is pre-recorded, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm the same. Tom, Tom edits this to make me sound really good, so it's all right. <laughs> so now you've decided to be freelance, do you feel like you've made the right decision? The early signs are good. Um, people have been really supportive and I'm really enjoying it. Um, but it was a heart-wrenching decision to leave my job and one it was a decision I didn't take lightly at all. Um, but yeah, I think um, I'm, I'm glad I did it because otherwise I always would have wondered what yeah. if. And I'd rather regret something that I did rather than something I didn't do. Yes. I didn't want to get to being like another 10 years down the line, still doing the same job, thinking, oh, what if I'd have just took that risk and done yeah. it and I've got a few friends who actually took the leap before me and they've been really supportive and encouraging and said you know if I can do it you can do it um so I decided to just feel the fear and go for it which ironically um was something that I apparently said out loud when I was giving um a talk at a blogger event right um and a lovely lady sat in the audience 
remembered what I'd said and wrote it down in beautiful calligraphy writing and gave it to me as like a poster. So I put that up in my office. It just says, feel the fear and go for it. Life in Geordie Land, 2000 and whatever it was. Yeah. 17, probably probably was about 2017 because that's how long I've been trying to make (laughs) the leap. So yeah, I decided to finally take my own advice and you know what, if it goes wrong, at least I tried. Yeah. Um, I, I would say to anybody, if you've got that, urge inside you to give something a go and you know take a take a risk just think to yourself what's the worst that could happen and I was speaking to a colleague the day before I handed my notice in and he said to me okay so what if you do make this decision and it's the wrong one what will you do and I went well I'll just get another job yeah he went, well there you go then yes yeah, exactly <laughs> exactly it's it's you just you you, you yeah. you've got plenty of experience to Absolutely. go back but you've got to you've got to dive in and I, I love that yeah. saying feel the fear it's just yeah, yeah I it, finally it, decided to live by it so it's in a frame now that on my wall in my office oh wow um and I, I do urge everyone to feel the fear and yeah. go for it because actually the buzz that you get when you actually yeah. do is insane yeah um, I, I definitely need to live by that a lot oh. a lot more and I think um it is you just kind of don't don't take that leap because you, you do think well Oh well, what if it goes wrong? Or what happens if this happens? And it's just so what, right? Yeah. Just do it. And... I mean, familiarity is comforting. Yes, you know, going to the same office every day with the same people and knowing what's in your diary and knowing that you get paid a certain amount at the end of the month—that's all really nice. And actually, there's nothing wrong with no. it at all. It's great for some people. But I just had this niggle in the back of my mind that, you know, if I didn't give it a try as a freelancer that I would always regret it and I would always wonder what if and that oh I I wouldn't like that no I wouldn't like to be you know down the line thinking I should have just done that yeah and you are a very positive person so you probably like you didn't want to sit and have that regret and be like yeah no look I've tried it I've done it and we can look at the good side do you know what though Kelly I think again it comes down to this gratitude thing yeah for me part of the reason I didn't want to leave my job is because I didn't want to seem ungrateful yeah I really loved my job and you know my dad is a very safe person and you know he's stick to what you know I like what I know and I know what I like and all that kind of thing and you know he said to me what yeah you're mad you 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 like your job why would you leave a job that you like and that's really hard to justify to yourself and to other people. Yeah. But I, I'm glad I did it. I'm really glad I did it. And think, fingers crossed, I'll continue to feel that way. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and it's it's still new and it's exciting. And it's, yeah. it's, it's going to go from strength to strength because you're really good at what you do. So that, that's the... the the best thing so your you, you blog and focusing on that as well and the the voiceover work it's it's just going to go from strength to strength oh fingers crossed <laughs> so having sort of part of your life online and having the blog and having the instagram and things how have you found that over the years I'll be really honest, I've got a bit of a love-hate relationship with social media I know that sounds like a really weird thing for a blogger to say but I never set out to sort of be famous on social media yeah. or anything like that. And I'm, I'm obviously not by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I didn't I didn't even have a Facebook page or an Instagram page for my blog for, for ages. Yeah. They were quite recent additions for me, really. But I do feel that it, you've kind of got to have them in order to promote the blog. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have them. Um, I use them regularly. And sometimes I love being on social media. So... 
you know, if I'm having a really great day out, I'll jump on Insta stories and tell people about it. And I love the interaction you get back from people who are viewing the stories and and the friendships that you can make through it as well. Mm -hmm. I love all of that side of it. But then other days, I'm just not, I don't always feel it and I don't always want to put everything out there. I think yeah. deep down I'm quite a private person. Yeah. So it's it's sometimes that battle within myself is what do I put online and what do I not? Yeah. Um. So for me, it, the blog came first and the social media platforms came after in order to promote the blog. Yeah. <clears throat> so... Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm never quite sure when people ask me that question how to respond to it because it depends on what mood I'm in. To be honest, yeah, definitely. Um, and it is. It is. I feel exactly the same with, yeah. with social media and kind of. Th- there's a lot of these careers and passions that people have that the fame and notoriety and people knowing about you just sort of has to come along with it. It's yeah. like there's a lot of actors that don't want to be famous. They just they just want to act. And, and there's a lot of bloggers that just love writing. But this day and age, social yeah. media, it, it kind of is there as a, as a way of, of promoting. And I follow a lot of other people as well who don't have a blog and just have a social media platform and they've ended up being famous. But I would never want to, I think, go into that level of sharing. Yes. Um, so it's probably the reason why I'll never be very consistent with social media. Um, so I think, you know, I really admire bloggers that are able to put out content on a certain day at a certain time regularly so that people really know what to expect from them. Yeah. Um, I'm just not that consistent. Um, I'm, not, I'm the same. <laughs> I'm just not that strict with myself. Um, and if if that annoys people or if people think that that makes me a bad blogger, then you know, so be it. I'm just, I'm just doing it to make myself happy first and yes. other people second. Yeah. Um. So I'll, you know, I'll always kind of fit social media into my life rather than fit my life around social media if that makes sense yes definitely. and sometimes I want to be private and sometimes I want to wear my heart on my sleeve yeah it, I, it just depends what mood I'm in to be honest yeah definitely one sort of major thing that I wanted to talk about and kind of the the, the focus around this podcast and kind of mental health and, and and how people cope with different life events yeah so uh you are passionate about um cervical screening I am yeah because yeah. you you experienced cervical cancer yeah so tell me a little bit about that journey you had yeah um so I was 27 when I was diagnosed with cervical cancer um it was 10 years ago in November um, came as a massive shock. I didn't feel unwell, um, but I knew that something wasn't quite right because I'd been having some symptoms that just weren't regular for me. So some bleeding and bloating that just didn't, it, it just wasn't consistent with how I normally feel. Um, so I got it checked out um, and they found a tumour. So yeah, very quickly went from being this girl who you know, was enjoying every day as it comes and not worrying about the future and just enjoying living with my boyfriend and making a home and having nice holidays and all the rest of it to suddenly thinking, oh, blimey, I've got to start, you know, really thinking yeah. seriously about my future and am I going to have one? Yeah. Um, but I was really lucky in the fact that it was caught quite early. So right. it was uh, stage 1B1. Um, so that meant that I could have some surgery to remove the tumour. Um, it also meant that I had to have my womb removed. Right. Um, so I had what's called a radical hysterectomy. And then when I'd recovered from the surgery, even though they were the doctors were quite confident that they'd removed the cancer, 
they had removed some lymph nodes at the same time as the surgery and some of them had come back positive. So just to be on the safe side, I also had uh, five weeks of radiotherapy every day, Monday to Friday, and then five sessions of chemotherapy kind of during the same period. Um, So that was quite intense. That made me feel much more ill than I had before I was diagnosed uh, because it's pretty grueling, um, the treatment that you have. Um, But it worked. (laughs) It was was, uh, definitely uh, worth going through because it meant that I was then cancer free and have been ever since. So yeah, that's my story. And it is, despite me saying that I have this love-hate relationship with social media and sometimes I wear my heart on my sleeve and sometimes I don't, um, I am happy to talk about it because yeah. I am really passionate that um, women go and get screened. The fact is, you know, I was late. I was overdue for my smear test. And that is probably one of the reasons why I developed cervical cancer. Um, so I am I now say to everybody else, you know, make sure you go for your screening appointments. Yeah. Don't delay. Screening is to try and prevent cancer, not find it. Yes. Um, you know, it's very much a preventable disease. Um so yeah, I'll, I'll champion that all day long. And yeah. But I think one of the reasons why I sometimes fall in and out of love with social media and, and the media in general is because when, straight after I was diagnosed and well, straight after I was, you know, in recovery, yeah. I was really passionate. I was like, everyone's got to hear my story. If I can prevent one woman going through this by sharing my story, then I will. So I, t- I talked in the media quite a lot openly about it. And I, I spoke to a local newspaper and I, w- I did say to the local um, journalist that I was speaking to that I really wanted it to be a positive story. You no, know, look at me, I've survived, but make sure you don't have to go through what I went through. And, yeah. you know, I tried to give that angle, um, but actually the headline that they put in the two-page spread in the newspaper was cervical cancer meant the end of Rachel's motherhood dream. <laughs> and I just thought... <laughs> That's the only thing that they focused like, on. Yeah, it was it was pretty much the focus of the story. And... I just thought, you know what, I hadn't even, at that point in my life, I I hadn't even discussed whether or not I wanted to be a parent with my boyfriend. Yeah. And the newspaper had gone and written this story, so it, it really put me off for a while. Um, yeah. And I, I think for a while I just wanted to put it in a box and forget yeah. it had ever happened. Like, not just the story, but the whole cancer. Just everything, yeah. yeah. But then, you know, it's been 10 years now, so I am much more comfortable talking about it again, and yeah. I know that um, I can talk about it in a way that, isn't going to be misconstrued and actually I'm just more confident in myself that I can get my story across in the way I want to um which is you know it's a preventable disease screening saves lives um I'm very lucky to be alive and um if you go for your screening appointments then you can perhaps save yourself from ever having cervical cancer yeah so that's kind of it in a nutshell really yeah so did you have regular screen so the age you're sort of similar age to me where they did actually start screening at at 21 that's the thing so when I was at university well it was actually I'm sure it was 18 when I first right because I remember going with my girl my my girlfriends at uni we all made a pact that we would go together maybe I was slightly older I can't exactly remember but we all went, yeah. and we went to the local family planning clinic, as it was, rather than our GP. Um, and we all went and got screened together, and we all came back normal, and everything was great. And then the, the age changed, so it's now if you're over 25. Yeah, 25 now. Um, and I was 27 when I got diagnosed. So I hadn't been from being 
25 to 27 however a couple of reasons for that um i wasn't just sort of ignorant definitely not basically what happened with me was two things so one was that um i had been to a family planning clinic to get uh, i just went in one day and said can i just have a, a general health screening for yeah. everything yeah um I just wanted to, you know, kind of look after my own body. Yeah. And, and you've got to do that, no yeah, matter no absolutely. matter what how, how your life is yeah. or what who your partners are. Yeah. It's always recommended absolutely. for people to go and get fully checked out. I think out. I must have read a leaflet or something that's, you know, kind of said words to that effect. Yeah. And, and that's what I did. And I, I think where I was a little bit naive is that I didn't really know the difference between things like cervical screening and, and other types of screening for yeah. sexual health. So I think I just assumed that that had been checked out. Yeah. And then the other thing that happened was I moved. So I moved from Sunderland to Newcastle and I wasn't, I wasn't registered with the GP. Right. So that meant that I didn't actually get my invitation um, because you will only get it if you are registered with a GP. Yeah. Um, so I never actually got the letter and therefore it was just kind of out of sight, out of mind. But obviously I listened to my own body. I knew when something wasn't right and yeah. I did go and get it checked out. Um, and it was diagnosed really quickly, so yeah. thankfully. <laughs> but even at 27, like, mm. with the fact that the screening age now is 25, I just, I don't understand why it was put back. And yeah. and when you are at that age, um, I actually got my letter today right, from my well, from yeah. my to say everything was fine, everything's, oh, everything's all right. Um, but it says on the letter, you'll be contacted in either three or five years. And mine's three because of the fact of the age I was that I started getting screened at right. 21. And I always try and go. However, when I got the letter it, to, to go for my appointment, it was way before Christmas. Mm-hmm. And I did that. I said, right, I need to sort that. Yeah, I need to sort it. I need to sort it. I yeah. need to sort it. And, and you never do um, because you just don't really think about it. But you don't, then you realise how important it was. And I think I had to have a, a chat with myself one day and just go, no, I need, I need to go. I need to go and get this sorted. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Everyday life gets in the way, it does. doesn't it? And um, it's very easy to just put the letter in a drawer, forget about it and think, oh, I'll, I'll deal with that tomorrow. Um, because we all think it'll never happen to us. Yes. That, and that is, the, that is the thing, isn't yeah. it? Everyone always says, oh, well, yeah, that, that's fine. It doesn't yeah. happen to me. Yeah, and... cancer's something that other people get. Yeah. But yeah, that's just so not true because actually um, I think it's, I think cervical cancer is one of the most common cancers in women under 30. Yeah. And, and actually the fact that the numbers are decreasing in terms of attendance for screening is really worrying um, because I think what's happened is that maybe with the rise of the HPV vaccine, yes. um, which can help prevent against cervical cancer. Um, people are thinking that they're that they're just not at risk. Yeah. Um, but the, the truth is, um, more cervical cancers are caused by something called HPV. And it's something that nearly all of us will get at some point in our lives, men and women. Yeah. And in most cases, our bodies will fight it off and it'll just go away. Um, but in some cases, it can turn into cancer. And so that's why cervical screening looks for those early changes mm-hmm. um, in, the, in the cells just to see what's going on um, and, and nip anything in the bud before it develops into cancer. Um, so actually, I don't really know how long my cancer was, was there, but I take your point about the age. Yeah. And I have had many discussions with um, oncologists and um, people who've campaign for um you know screening awareness um about this over the years and it is quite annoying when you think it's a different age again in scotland yeah it it can be really confusing 
But ultimately, that's the government guideline and people much cleverer than me have decided that it should be age 25 in England. So I guess we just kind of have to take that advice. And, And I think, obviously, I would urge any woman to go and get screened and um, I, I would ideally like it to start from younger. Yeah. Um, but actually, we've got a real problem on our hands in the fact that most women aren't, who are eligible to get screened Don't aren't go. even going. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, exactly. Let's and... deal with that first. Yeah. I think. Um, and I, you know, I was chatting to this um, on BBC Radio Newcastle recently because it was uh, Screening Awareness Month. I think something awareness month anyway they invited me in um for a chat and um I was happy to go in and do so and the presenter of the radio show Anna Foster was saying she'd done the same thing she got the letter she put it to the bottom of a handbag and she had a a massive to-do list of loads of other things um that in her mind were more important that day so I I made her read the list out and it was things like she needed to ring her uncle because he'd just got back off holiday. Um, she needed to get some dog food because they were running low. And, you know, just the everyday it, it life is, things. It's, and it's crazy that you think mm. that they're more important yeah. because you think it's just the action of going and getting it done. But it's yeah. not. It's it's the actual test that is happening yeah. that, it, that is the important part of it. And I think that's the reality. She hadn't put it off because she thought those other things were more important she'd put it off because she thought it might be a bit uncomfortable she was a little bit embarrassed maybe she hadn't you know had time to prepare yeah (laughs) because some of us think we have to prepare for an appointment like that it's it's crazy (laughs) when I actually went for mine my friends were laughing at me because uh on the same day I went for a bikini wax yeah but afterwards so I went for my smear in the morning and then I went for my bikini wax and my friend went why didn't you go before and I was like why yeah the The nurse nurse does not care in one bit what that down there looks like. Doesn't care if you've got odd socks on or you haven't shaved, shaved your legs <laughs> or whatever. Um, they're just glad that you've gone. I I had to go to the GP for some blood tests recently for something completely uh, different. Yeah. And the nurse that did my blood tests had a whole list in front of her that, of about thirty women who hadn't turned up for their screening oh, appointment over that so last couple sad. of days. Um, so I was chatting to her for a while and she was saying, you know, look, I wish I could just say to people, I don't care. I don't care what it looks like, yeah. you know, where it's been, um, what colour socks you've got on, anything like that, just please attend your appointment. Do you um, think that there would be more attendees if they did home visits? I know the ooh. the whole um, idea of the cost and the, there's all that actual element to it. However, if people just knew that they could have a private appointment where some the nurse came to the house, did it in the comfort of their own home... Mm and then went away, do you think that would make a difference? It's an interesting point, actually. I've never thought of that before. I know that self-testing has been discussed in the past. I'd never thought of home visits before. The truth is, the reasons why women don't attend are really varied and complex. It's different for every woman. Um, Time constraints or being able to get out of work is one of them, so Mm -hmm. that could answer that problem. But for others, it's perhaps they've had a, you know, a negative experience in the past they've got bad memories of it being really uncomfortable or they've heard horror stories about um the instruments that are used to do the testing and also what was in the news recently is that the word smear puts people off yeah it is it's it's not a nice it's not a nice word word. so they're trying to rebrand it as cervical screening and trying to normalize it in the way in the same way that breast screenings kind of become normalized um for, for many women and 
and try and take that stigma away. Yeah. Um, there is still a stigma, absolutely, because it is quite often um, cervical cancer is caused by um, a sexually transmitted virus. Yes. Um, the fact that HPV sounds quite similar to HIV, I think, scares a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Even though it's completely different. Um, but, you know, I'll never forget, I was sat in... Uh, the general hospital in Newcastle when it was still there having radiotherapy and it was a, a kind of a day room there was lots of other uh, men and women hooked up to different types of chemotherapy and I was sat next to a very elderly lady who obviously didn't really know any better or she, some people might call her ignorant but she said to me uh, what type of cancer have you got and I said oh it's cervical cancer and she said oh well that's what you get, isn't it, for being, you know, a, a modern woman? And I was thinking, <gasps> what? I didn't really wow. understand what she meant at first. And I was thinking, what What does she mean? And she clearly meant that it was because I'd had sex outside of marriage. I actually saw a look at my hand for a wedding ring. Wow. Yeah. And I was just, I was like, I didn't know what to say. I was yeah. only 27. I was surrounded by all these people who were much older than me and... I just didn't really know where to look, to be honest. But there is a, there is still a stigma around it. Yeah. And, I, and I, sometimes I think back and I think, was there a stigma around breast cancer in the same way? And have we just got better about talking about it? Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully we'll get better at talking about cervical cancer. Yeah. And not just cervical cancer, but all kinds of cancers that are, you know, in more intimate areas yeah, that people and that, are uncomfortable talking about. And that's exactly what it is, isn't it? It's it's in an intimate area. Yeah. People don't like to say they've been for their smear test or their mm. cervical screening because it is yeah. talking about your bits. Yeah. And it's like, but who cares? Who Everyone's cares? got the same bits. It's ridiculous, isn't it? I think, you know, it's, it's 2019 and we're still, you know, it's... I was talking to somebody recently about the fact that... Um, women are still hiding tampons up their sleeves yeah. when they go to, there was a lot of that in the media recently, trying yeah. to normalise periods. Um, and it's the same sort of thing. It's ridiculous. It's yeah. it's a natural thing. That... It is, it's crazy. And <laughs> me and um, Naomi talked about that on, on yes, one of the last podcasts. And, yeah. and saying that, how it's, it's crazy how yeah. even to other women, you're kind of like not mm. wanting to talk about periods. And it's just, it needs to be yeah. normalised, it definitely. Yeah. And and unfortunately, it, it happens with men as well of not being screened for um, prostate cancer yeah. Yeah. because it is in that intimate area or testicular cancer. Yeah. Uh, and it needs to be talked about. Yeah. And uh, so people want to go and, and get it sorted and, and don't just ignore the symptoms because it's the worst thing that you can possibly do. Absolutely. And yeah. definitely um, with the, the whole Jade Goody effect. Mm. So was that, that was, was that well, about the same time? Jade Goody actually died while I was still having treatment. Wow. Um, so I remember people visiting me at, at home and sort of bringing me gifts because I was poorly and um, they would bring me magazines and the magazines were all just filled <sighs> with Jade Goody. Um, and it was... It was really, I, I was traumatized by hearing about her story because I kind of went through that whole why me phase. Not why yeah. me is why did I get cancer? Why me? Why did I survive? Right. Um, and I carried a lot of guilt around that. Well, I still do, if I'm really yeah. honest, um, because I, I made friends through George Trust, the cervical cancer charity, um, with women who had the same cancer as me. I actually set up the first support group in the Northeast for women with cervical cancer with another girl from the Northeast. Um, sadly, her cancer came back and she passed away. And she was the same age as me. Yeah. She had the same name as me. Oh, it's going to set me off now. Aww. But she... Um, 
there was I, I just couldn't understand why she wasn't here anymore and I was yeah um so that that was really hard it still is obviously yeah um, so yeah I've carried a lot of guilt really and I've never really quite understood who 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 does understand why exactly. some of us are here and some of us aren't I'm sure you know everybody listening will have lost someone at yeah. some point and and you're uh, here now though to to make everyone aware of it and that's uh, I don't why, know why that's I'm here, why but I will I will shout about cervical screening exactly. until the cows come home <laughs> and that's that's the important thing and and the the, the people that, that that didn't survive we're here to to make sure that other people don't yeah. don't go through the, that 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 same experience yeah, so maybe. um and and it is it is um fantastic what you're doing oh thank you yeah it's just it it it's emotional isn't it it it's, is of course it is it's a, whew, it's a, it is a big <laughs> do I just bring that out in people just to... <laughs> it's just an emotional subject of and course. um you know I, it always it always gets me when I think about other women that yeah. haven't survived and you know Jade Goody was the famous one that lots of people have heard of um and actually there was a lot of um increase in uptake in going for screening shortly yeah. after she passed away but it's now at lower levels than it was before wow. um so yeah if anybody has you know, is is worried about screening, has been putting it off, is is scared. I would say check out Joe's Cervical Cancer Trust. Um, yeah. It's the UK charity charity for not just cervical cancer but cervical abnormalities. Right. So they really do support women in going for screening. They'll answer any questions. They've got a helpline. They've got advice sheets. Um, they were a massive support to me when I was going through cervical cancer. But I also know women who've contacted them in preparation for going for screening. Wow, um, so, so getting that support absolutely. beforehand as well. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's that's fantastic that because I've got a lot of friends who even though uh even family members that even though it never turned into cervical cancer mm. have had those abnormal cells. Yeah. Um and it's just very scary to very hear scary. you've got abnormal cells and they need to they need to be sort of dealt with. And it's lots of phrases that you might not have heard before, mm-hmm. you know, sin one, sin two, you might have to have a let's treatment. All of these things you've probably never heard of before yeah. and, and not knowing is the scariest part. Yeah. So for me, um, when I was diagnosed, one of the first things I did was I went on the jo- the Jaws Trust website and they've got an Ask the Expert section. So I went on there and I sent them an email and I said, this is what's happened. I've just been diagnosed. Please, can you give me any information, any advice about what questions I should be asking? Um, I just wanted, I wanted information. I wanted knowledge that yeah. I felt empowered so that I felt in charge of the cancer rather than the other way around. And it was so helpful. I got this really long detailed reply back from an oncologist because they have an ex- ask the expert panel. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was an answer back from someone really experienced and they advised me of a lot of things to ask at my next appointment. And I just printed that off and I took it with me to see the oncologist. And I'll never forget his face. So I had a, a wonderful oncologist. He, he was a marvellous man, someone who I had a brilliant relationship with from the day I met him. And um, he, he was talking me through what was going to happen and the treatment that he was going to advise. And then he was like, so any other questions? And I just pulled this A4 sheet out of my bag and said, well, yes, I do have a few. And he was saying, oh, that's so, you know, that's so brilliant that you've done that. And he yeah. said, can I ask you a question? Where did you get all of the, how did you know to ask all those questions? And I said, oh, I asked the experts on the Joe's Trust website. And he went, yeah, I think we're going to have a future ambassador in you. <laughs> oh, so that's I think amazing. He, yeah, I think he knew that um, I was, you know, obviously taking 
my experience really seriously and yeah. I really wanted to do as much as I can not just to help myself but to help everybody around me as well you know it was things like you know what can how can I how can I tell my dad yeah <laughs> you know because um, I knew he would take it really badly and um you know what kind of things should I be eating or yeah. you know, loads of different things like that that you never think you're going to have to worry about but it was really useful for me but as I say they are there for people who aren't diagnosed but are worried about early um, symptoms yeah. or, or screening as well. So when you were going through all of that, kind of your own mental state and your, how, how you felt, how did you cope in your own daily life and what did you do to kind of get yourself out of your own head and, and what were your sort of coping mechanisms? I think the thing is, when whenever you go through something like that, and it, I'd say it's probably quite similar to going through a bereavement in the fact that, there's a lot going on and you kind of, there's a lot to deal with so you kind of just get on with it so there was a hot there was there was lots to keep me busy there was yeah. hospital appointments there was uh, things to read there was you know tests and scans and visits and loads to keep me busy during the actual diagnosis and the treatment so I didn't really have time too much yeah. to stop and think about the future I was just in the here and now and my attitude was very much okay, right, how do we fix this? Yeah. So I was just going day by day, sort of coping with it, really. Mm-hmm. Um, telling people was quite exhausting and, yeah. and, and you know, seeing everybody else so upset was was difficult. Um, but I just, I just tried to be the positive one and I tried to keep everybody else's spirits up. So I didn't really get down in myself mm-hmm. at, at that time. And then after treatment finished... Yes, I was I was ill for a little while and I was off work probably for about three months altogether. But then I was just really keen to get back to work and get back to normal life. Yeah. In inverted commas. <laughs> um, so I threw myself back into work and, you know, I was 27. So I was able to go back to a relatively normal life yeah. um, as it had been before. Nothing else had really changed other than the fact that I was now infertile. But at the time... That didn't really matter because I hadn't been planning a family. None of my other friends had kids. Yeah. So life just kind of went back to normal. If I'm really honest, and I haven't spoken about this very much, it, was, it wasn't It was until later that it all kind of hit me. Yeah. Um, so being infertile when you're 27 and nobody else has got kids is very different to being infertile in your mid-30s when everybody else's lives have changed except yours. Yeah. Um, so I guess it's probably only in the last few years that I've had to deal with that. Yeah. And how have I dealt with it? I, I'm very much a glass-half-full person anyway, by nature. I, as I've said, just feel very grateful to even be here. Yes. So I, I've never really you know, being the type of person to dwell on what I've not got, I'd rather focus on what I have. Yes. And what I do have is an amazing life with a really loving partner and amazing family and friends and amazing social life and, a, you know, brilliant career. Lots, lots to be happy yeah, about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I focus on that. And that that's kind of, you know, if I'm having a down day yeah. that, and I'm, I am a bit upset about things or, you know, if, I, if I'm feeling guilty, you know, I've talked about guilt. Yes. And that's that's something that I've carried. If all of that starts to kind of come to the surface, then I'll just try and focus on what I've got rather than what I've not got. And that's, that's my key, really, yeah. to just getting through. Because 
yeah, I've got a lot to be thankful for. Yeah, and that that's that's an amazing attitude to have, um, definitely because uh, there's a there's a lot of women out there that are, are going through the same thing and mm. and are infertile for a number of different reasons, mm. um, and it's it's good that you can you can be positive in it. It doesn't have to define it doesn't define you no, in the slightest. Definitely not, and it seems to it seems to bother other people more than it bothers me actually. Yeah. Um, Especially, so you know when you meet new people yeah. who don't know your backstory. Obviously, my, all my friends and family know, so they don't ask or expect yeah. um, anything like that. Um, and we're, and James and I, we've been together 14 years and we're not married either. But, yeah. you know, th- if you meet people for the first time, though, and they say, oh, so are you married? No, but I've, you know, I've been with my partner 14 years. You kind of get that puzzled look as of why you're not married. Why you're not married. And then the next question inevitably is, so have you got kids? Yeah. And no, no, no kids. And they people often look really disappointed. Yeah. And I think it's because a lot of people, for, for a lot of people, marriage and kids is their life. Yes. And that does define them. So that when, pe- when people meet you for the first time and you haven't got that in common with them, they don't know what else to ask you about. Yeah, it is. And it, it's, <laughs> that is definitely. And you can, I, I always am so shocked that the one thing that people think that they can come out and say to you is why why have you not got kids oh i get asked and all you just the time. think you wouldn't ask me and if i had a, a scar on my face yeah. you wouldn't come and go why have you got to just come out with it and if you, if i had something else, you wouldn't just come out and yeah. say that and it just people feel some my such i um, don't want kids that's yeah. kind of mine and i kind of sometimes feel that guilt because i'm choosing not to yeah. have kids yeah. um and i've got close people to me that would do anything yeah. to 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 have a baby and 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 would would love that and and I have that guilt of of well I'm I'm choosing not to have one mm. and but I still get those questions of oh well, you've you've been married for three years oh when's the when's the babies and one I just think how rude because if I can't have kids you saying that is probably quite hurtful and two what has it got to do with you yeah, it's so intrusive isn't it and I think. I think I get asked more than James as yeah, well. well. And that is the biggest thing, is that I'm <laughs> quite sure that Tom says he hasn't got any kids. Uh, people don't say, oh, oh, wh- why? Yeah. And men just don't get that level of, of expectation, of expectation yeah. as women do. Definitely. Um, it's strange, isn't it? I, I find it really intrusive. And I'm probably a bit too polite for my own good. I know other women who, who have gone straight in people's face and gone well that's an intrusive question actually I had cancer and and they would you know be quite yes. uh, brutal about it but I don't want to it's ironic isn't it someone who's just made me feel uncomfortable you don't I don't want to make them feel yeah. uncomfortable so I would just go oh no no it's that's not our path or that's not for us you know yeah and I find myself saying these stupid things like that's not our path and I think why am I? <laughs> why am I even explaining myself? You're making excuses, aren't you, for them, and it's just, just to make like, them feel comfortable. Yeah, yeah. What, what I really want to say is, mind your own business. Yeah, um, and that that's your life, <laughs> isn't it? And and yeah. also, I know we've we've talked that you people think that you should be unbelievably devastated and on a yeah. daily basis that you 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 can't deal with it. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's, there are obviously, you know, a lot of women out there who would be completely devastated if yeah. they couldn't have children. I think the thing for me, though, is that I went through my cancer treatment before I'd really, I mean, I, yes, I was 27, so I probably should have been thinking about it, but 
James and I were just too busy enjoying our lives, yeah. going on amazing holidays, having fun and just living each day as it comes. We'd never really talked about it. So for me then when I had that treatment and I found, you know, it was the treatment that was going to save my life. So there was no question. Yeah. Um, then from then on, it was black and white. And I think actually I personally would find, have found that easier to deal with than perhaps I would have found not knowing if I could have children or having unsuccessful pregnancies and having the heartbreak of that. Yeah. For me, it's it's been black and white for 10 years. I had a hysterectomy, I can't have kids. Yeah. Move on. And I think personally, I would, found, I would have found it a lot more difficult to have had a big question mark instead of that. Yeah. Um, but I think the other thing that has made it slightly easier for me is that I've got really close relationships with my nieces and nephews. Yeah. And... Perhaps if they weren't in my life or I weren't as close to them as I am, that I would I would feel that loss more. Yes. But actually, I don't feel childless because I've got children in my life that I'm really, really close to. Yeah. And my niece and nephew who live in Rochdale, my brother's kids, um, they're seven, they're twins, and they lost their mum just before Christmas really right. suddenly. Um, so actually, I think I'll probably be an even bigger part of their yeah, life than such an important role yeah I I do feel that you know I, I, we're close and that I will do everything to make sure that we always stay close so they've got they've got that female role model in yeah. their lives um whether they like it or not because uh, <laughs> I just love them to bits yeah and I love oh, being around them so that's fantastic yeah, though and yeah um and kind of going back to to that headline of the of the article where mm. you said that it was um what lost have, the motherhood dream yeah but it was something like that just yeah. because you don't get pregnant and have a baby if 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 that is is what you want to do yeah. there's there's lots of options in this day and age for yeah. for people and and people need to realize that just because that they that they they can't physically have children that yeah. there is other options for them because that that that's absolutely and it doesn't make you yeah. any less of a mother yeah. um even if you are so close to to nieces and nephews like that 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 is that is the same the same thing and it doesn't take anything away from um, just not being able to physically have a baby. Yeah, I think it does for some women. I think some women will never truly get over yeah. not being able to have children. I'm just not one of them. And yeah. I'm not going to... I feel guilty for many things <laughs> already. So I'm going to try not to carry any extra guilt no. for not being devastated yeah. over the fact that I can't have children. Yeah. Because ultimately, the reason I can't have children is because I had surgery that saved my life. Yeah. <laughs> so... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and that's not your guilt to have. And, yeah. and um, like you say, you, you've got so many amazing things going on in your life yeah. and so many fantastic relationships uh, that, that that's, it, it's all, can I say, been worthwhile in the sense that it's it's all over the last 10 years. It's, yeah. it's you've, you've got all these amazing relationships in, in your life now and, and, yeah. and you, you, you survived it. Yeah, go me. <laughs> yeah, go you. We should be banging the drum, and you should be proud and oh, of everything you. of everything that you're doing. And 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 we need to to make more women go and more women get screened and Absolutely. and make it a, a something that they even talk about in schools. I know at the age is twenty five, but they understanding yeah. the different types of cancer that people can get and and how you look after your body and what you do and how you look for symptoms and how yeah. you get screened. That needs to be ingrained in us from from being really young it does and I think it's so complex because people just hear the word cancer and 
it's still such a terrifying word, yeah. despite all of the research and the you know the increase in survival rates. But it's because the re- the thing that I always say to people is cancer isn't just one thing; it's so many different illnesses and levels of illnesses each individual cancer then has so many different stages it's not one thing yeah and that's why no two people will ever have the exact same cancer experience yeah i won't call it a cancer journey because i've got i've got a friend who um has had cancer twice and she always says don't call it a blooming journey it's not like i'm going on a road trip (laughs) i'm not packing my bags and going away for a spa weekend so yeah i can't call it a cancer journey because i just hear her voice in my head (laughs) head getting angry about it um but yeah it's um it's different for everybody it really is and you know my experience is unique to me um but i will share it and i will encourage other women to get screened because it's my the cancer i had was preventable and that's why you know i really really urge women to to go and take up their appointment for screening so that they don't have to go through that difficult time that i went through so what other things have you done to raise awareness um, I've been in newspapers and I've done radio interviews and I had a support group once so I did lots of work with George Trust, the charity but the best thing that I probably ever did um, was I went on This Morning with Philip and Holly. <laughs> That's my dream. Yeah, oh, honestly it was so much fun and this is coming from somebody who had the world's biggest crush on Philip Schofield as a child. <laughs> So that's so I, funny because I, I want him to be my dad. So that's, <laughs> that's a bit weird. Yeah. So every time I'm like, oh, I wish he was my dad. Oh, I had the world's big... I think he was my first love. Either him or Shaking Stevens. Oh. But yeah, um, I got invited through the charity yeah. um, to go on and speak about my experience. And uh, I took my mum and we went down to London. We got put up in a fancy hotel and they came and collected us in a car. Wow. And I did the interview live. It was really scary talked about my symptoms and then afterwards in we were having a coffee in the green room waiting to have our picture with Phil and Holly and um, the doctor who'd been on the show with us came in and, and told me about all of these messages that had come into the show to say that women had watched the interview on the TV and that they wow. were going to go for their smear test because of my interview so for me that was just absolutely amazing and worth it's waiting gold. That's fantastic, yeah. isn't it? That, that your message is, is getting out there oh, and, and yeah. it's making people want to go because of because of your story. I was That's just bits. incredible. Because I was really nervous. I was a bit apprehensive I'd, uh, because it was live. And, oh, what if I say the wrong thing? And what if I embarrass the family by talking about, you know, in my intimate bits on the telly? <laughs> oh, my dad's going to cringe. And, uh, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, when I heard that, I was like, yeah, I'm so glad I did this. Yeah. Plus, my mum got to meet Jason Donovan as well. <gasps> you haven't just thrown Jason Donovan into the mix as well. Oh, no. It was a great day. Yeah, I remember it sounds like time. the best day ever <laughs> created. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah. So, oh, 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 Phil and Holly is lovely as oh, they come across on the telly. They were so lovely. Um Honestly, they, they had pictures taken with us. Holly, Holly was pregnant at the time oh. as well. So she was, you know, she was talking about that. And it was really, really nice. And my mum, yeah, she just had the best day out ever. Oh. Um, I was actually on TV with Philip Schofield when I was about 
nine right uh, because he used to present a program called going live yeah going live and i'd set i used to love going live every saturday morning and me and my uh, friend had set my dad up to be pranked on going live right um and so we were on tv because of that and he was singing like elvis in the back garden and the cameras (laughs) came around to the house and anyway it was all bizarre but my mum when we went on this morning said do you think philip schofield remember us from when we were on telly i was like um don't think so. It was like 20 years ago. And I'm not wearing my shell suit today, so you might not recognize me. But so when, when he came to have his picture taken with us afterwards, um, my mum said, do you know, Philip, we were actually on the TV with you in the 90s. And you might not remember, but um, my husband did an impression of Elvis Presley. And bless Philip Schofield, he pretended to remember. Oh, <laughs> so, bless. Like, do you know, I think that rings a bell. <laughs> And my mum was like, I knew it would. You never know, he might have been telling the <laughs> no, truth. But my mum was chuffed, she was like, I knew he'd remember us. Oh, good old <laughs> Phil. I love Phil so much. Oh, he's a sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. that's why I yeah. want him to be my dad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for um, coming in today and, and, and being on the podcast. I've, I found our chat fascinating and and heartwarming and it's been really really lovely and and if we can just by putting this podcast out just make one person decide to go and and book in that 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 uh, cervical screening then then it's been worth it so definitely and if if anybody listening does let us know yes yes tweet me and um tweet rachel and and let us know that you've that you've been and and you've got screened because you've listened to this because it would be it would be fantastic to hear and and uh, thank you rachel for for opening up and and being so honest it's it's so nice to hear and 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 nice to to chat to someone that that is so so open and honest about everything oh no problem thanks for having me thank you so much wow that chat was so good i loved talking to rachel and i hope you enjoyed it just as much as i did and i hope you got something out of it as well and if there is any women listening to this and you've ever been worried about going for a screen definitely definitely go book that appointment ring your gp go to your local family planning clinic and just get booked in it takes less than 10 minutes and it doesn't hurt and it's not embarrassing and you really really need to go and just listening to to rachel's story should inspire everyone to go and get screened and get checked so thank you so much for Rachel for coming on and definitely follow Rachel's blog as well because she blogs all about the northeast and it is so interesting and you even find out things that you didn't even know were there so I would 100% recommend uh, giving her blog a follow as well so you'll find her life on Geordie land and you'll also find all of the information in the accompanying blog post that will be going up for this episode so at the end, I'd just like to say my lovely thank yous to my incredible production staff, which consists of Tom from TMH Sounds. He is incredible and I wouldn't be able to do this without you. So thank you so much. And also to Bradley Parsons for the music. And uh, you can find Bradley on the website Fiverr. So that's it for another episode. Thank you so much for listening. It has been an absolute blast. And again, get screened. That's all I'm going to say. So thank you so much. Bye. Bye.